This podcast is a presentation of UCTV.TV, University of California Television. Like what you learn? Help others discover UCTV podcasts by leaving a comment or rating in iTunes. Thank you so much for having me. So unlike most of your other speakers, I actually work with contemporary humans and not fossils, but I will try to maintain your attention anyway. Um, I am mostly interested in human evolution, um, and as you've noticed from these diagrams that people have put up regarding the phylogeny of Neanderthals and Denisovans and modern humans, modern humans often get represented as sort of just a, a single branch or maybe a few genomes that come off this other branch. And so what I want to do is really take a little bit of time and conceptualize what it means to refer to the Homo sapiens as a single species. Did we have a single origin? Um, there's actually a lot of complexity in this question, which isn't necessarily addressed by one of these simple tripart type phylogenies. So let's just break down kind of the no working model we have for human evolution, um, which is mostly based on contemporary DNA. So if we start out in Africa, roughly about 100,000 years ago, I'm an advocate of a Southern African origin. I'm not going to try to convince you of that today. But we actually don't know where in Africa there was a single origin of the Homo sapiens species, if indeed it was a single origin model. All right. And then from Southern Africa, putatively, um, there is a migration and dispersal into the rest of the African continent. And certainly by 60, maybe even slightly earlier, 50,000, sorry, 70,000 years, there were these um, uh, individuals living in northeastern Africa, at which time there was what we call a founder event. So these populations moved out of Africa into the Near East. Now, this event is actually a major event in human evolution, or at least in the genomes of all non-Africans living today. And that is because there was a strong reduction in genetic diversity during this founder event. And that's indicated here by the fat, fat arrow. Okay? So every time you see a fat arrow on this map, that indicates a reduction in genetic diversity. Once humans left Africa, these individuals spread rapidly across the Eurasian continent. There are some hypotheses of what they call um, the South Indian or South Asian uh, migration route, which is along the coast. Um, of the Indian subcontinent and eventually into Southeast Asia and Oceania, certainly by 45,000 years ago, as well as additional migrations into Northern Asia and eventually into the Americas, where it was accompanied by yet another strong founder event or population bottleneck, which reduced the genetic diversity of those populations. And we'll hear a little bit more about that today um, from Maria. So that's our, our basic model of um, human evolution over the last 100,000 years. But you'll notice that um, there's not a lot of detail in Africa, actually. There's just a few arrows and some general little dates. Geneticists love to put arrows on maps, and I am no exception. So I'd like to instead think about posing this question, where in Africa did humans originate? And there are different types of genetic evidence or uh, other types of evidence one might use to answer this question. And so um, I'm, there's a sort of presentation here, this is by uh, Bettini and Jobling, where they suggest different types of evidence one could look at. So you could look at, for example, non-genetic evidence, skulls that have been dug up from the ground by paleoanthropologists. You could look at um, evidence of what we call symbolic behavior, such as um, the making of art, so shell beads, 
or these little cross-hatched ochre pieces that have been discovered. You might even look at language. So there's a really fascinating paper um, from a few years ago that looked at phonemic diversity, not genetic diversity, but looking at the number of phonemes in different languages, and can we learn anything about the origins of language by the amount of diversity that's present in phonemes? And he argued, indeed, um, Africa has the highest phonemic diversity, and in particular, even southern Africa has the highest phonemic diversity. Um, so I'm a geneticist. I focus on a different type of evidence, and you can break down genetic evidence also into these little patches. So one might be the mitochondrial DNA. Mitochondrial DNA, as we've heard from other speakers, is something that's inherited um, through the maternal lineage. So the mother passes it on to her children, and then it's passed on from the daughter to her children. Um, alternatively, you could look at the Y chromosome, which has a different pattern of inheritance from father to son, and so on and so on, so on for many generations. And then last are what we call the autosomes, which are the remainder of the chromosomes 1 through 22 that compose the rest of your genome. So when this was done, and this uh, slide is a little bit dated, but from mitochondrial DNA and Y chromosome DNA, it was a little bit hard to pinpoint precisely where the deepest divergence was within Africa. I'm going to address that again later. Um, but at least from the autosomal information, both of you look at SNPs, or single nucleotide polymorphisms, just your vanilla mutation. Um, uh, they actually have the highest genetic diversity, or heterozygosity, in southern African populations. And even other types of polymorphism, like microsatellites, also look like they had the highest diversity in southern African populations. And so we're getting a lot of conflicting pieces of information, maybe from non-genetic evidence, from genetic evidence. So how can we sort of conceptualize synthesizing all this information? So I'm actually an anthropologist by training, um, despite the fact that I do genetics. And so I like to sort of begin with the paleoanthropology, and that's what we're going to do right now. Um, so there's a fantastic amount of information that's been um, excavated from the fossil record. And some of this information comes in the form of bones, right, like we've seen earlier in the talk. And on the right here, you have a fossil cranium from Herto, Ethiopia, that was dug up. And it looks like, morphologically, it's very similar to modern humans. So the um, front part of the, the, um, the skull is actually tucked in underneath the brow ridge, the Skull is actually pretty short from front to back. Uh, the brain size is, of course, equivalent to what you would see in contemporary human populations today. And if we put flesh on this individual, they would probably look relatively similar to other human sapiens um, around the world. However, so we know that there was morphologically individuals that were probably similar to Homo sapiens walking around Africa at least 150,000 years ago. But in fact, there's a lot of additional information that can be gleaned from stone tools. So there's a uh, phrase that's called the Middle Stone Age. And the Middle Stone Age refers at least roughly to 250,000 years ago to 50,000 years ago. And on this other map, what you see are sites in Africa where Middle Stone Age artifacts have been recovered. So we know that hominin populations were living in these areas of Africa during this time period. And what you'll notice, right, is that there's maybe not that many examples of this beautifully reconstructed skull from all over Africa, but there are many, many geographic locations on this map that actually date back to the Middle Stone Age. And so what does that mean? 
So that means, of course, that there were lots of hominins walking around the face of Africa during this time period. And in fact, there's also good evidence from North Africa as well, even though it's cut off in this particular, this particular map. And so let's just kind of make a little schematic and, and start to think about this. So if I look back into Africa 150,000 years ago, 200,000 years ago, I know that there are Homo sapien-like populations, broadly speaking, that exist in different parts of the landscape. And so we can ask a relatively simple question. Were these populations structured? Okay. And that means, are they different from one another? So perhaps we have populations in North Africa, East Africa, and Southern Africa. There's less information from Central Africa for various reasons. And these environments may have been very different from one another. So you might have had you know, a cool Mediterranean climate up in North Africa, and then a very hot desert-like climate, let's say, in Southern Africa. And the question then is, are these populations really separate from one another, or are individuals moving in between them? So population geneticists like to refer to this concept of popu as population structure. So let me just explain what that is briefly. Um, in this kind of little schematic, we have a SNP, or a single nucleotide polymorphism, up on the top that either comes in red or yellow. And we have two populations on either side of this river, and we can see that they are very different from one another. So individuals on one side of the river carry only the red allele, and individuals on the other side of the river only carry the yellow allele. And this is um, structured populations, or populations where there are strong differences in allele frequency. And this is in contrast, down to the bottom, of populations which are carrying both the purple and the orange alleles because there's migration between these two populations, or gene flow, if you refer to your little glossary on the handout. And this is because I've given them a nice little bridge so people can walk across and, and migrate. So we can just sort of uh, take that example and apply it to the rest of Africa as well. So were these populations structured at 200 and 150,000 years ago, or was there actually what we call panmixia, or lots of migration among the different subpopulations? And... Um, <laughs> I think we have an actual answer to this particular question, but it's somewhat complicated to infer, in fact. And one thing to point out is that in either of these scenarios, if you're thinking back to what the landscape would have looked like 200,000 years ago, means that if I went and sampled individuals from across the African landscape, their common ancestor, in terms of their genetics, would have been very old. It would actually predate 150,000 years ago or 200,000 years ago. In order to understand why that is, you have to, again, take a little mini class in population genetics here and think about the difference between populations and the difference, the difference between populations and genes. So this is what we call a gene genealogy, which is represented by these little lineages right here. And these lineages exist within these two different populations. Okay, so we can sort of trace back the common ancestry of a given genetic segment to um, where that uh, individual shares a common ancestor. And these common ancestors exist in some ancestral population, which I'm going to then let evolve through time. So now we have this common ancestral population, and there's been some sort of divergence, and it's diverged into a blue and orange populations. And you can see that these gene genealogies, these genetic lineages, are sort of splitting nicely into the blue and orange population. And then finally, at the present day, or down here, you know, I might go and sample individuals from the orange population, the blue population, and then ask when their common ancestor was. 
Okay? And that common ancestor is indicated up here, just like in a normal phylogeny. The key thing to remember, actually, when you're looking at that, is that the common ancestor predates the population divergence. Okay? And this is the case for most of the loci that we would look at in the human genome. So the common ancestor must be older than the population divergence. So then we can ask, how old are the common genetic lineages within human populations? So I'm going to do this for a relatively simple locus, the Y chromosome, right? So the Y chromosome, again, is just passed on between father and son. And one of the nice things about the Y chromosome is that it's relatively small. So it's easy to go in and sequence it from many individuals. So a few years ago, we captured about 10 megabases of the Y chromosome for a variety of individuals across human populations. And we actually had a strong focus here on sampling African populations, because that's what I'm obsessed with, is African populations. Um, and what you'll see is all the African individuals are sort of on the bottom half of this segment, and you're just looking at a normal gene genealogy or phylogeny that's been flipped on its side. So the common ancestor is right here, and then each one of these lineages represents a single individual's Y chromosome that was sampled from a man. Now, the first thing, obviously, to notice is that um, individuals from outside of Africa have very little genetic diversity on their Y chromosomes compared to individuals from Africa. And you can easily see that by their relatively short branch lengths up here. So these are all the out-of-African individuals. Okay? So people from Cambodia, people from the Americas, people from Europe, and so on. And instead, if I look within Africa, I see individuals that carry really, really long branches. Okay? So, for example, individuals from West Africa and North Africa diverge around here, and individuals that are from these African hunter-gatherer populations, which are particularly special, carry extraordinarily long branches all the way back to the common ancestor. So that graph can be a little bit hard to read for some people who are not geneticists, so I've tried to make um, a schematic. If we look at the time to the common ancestor and we try to date in years how, how long ago that might have been, we can kind of put an upper bound on the population divergence among all human populations. And so when we do this with the Y chromosome, what you actually see is that the upper bound on population divergence would have been around 150,000 years ago, plus or minus a couple tens of thousands of years. Okay, So we're actually seeing relatively shallow divergence among contemporary human populations. And with a little bit of additional modeling, we can actually say, well, which population diverged first from all other human populations, and when was that? And at least looking at the Y chromosome sequence, it's most likely to have been these Khoisan populations from southern Africa, and we date it to approximately around 90,000 years ago. Now, you could say, well, that's just the Y chromosome. It's just a single locus, and it has this bizarre pattern of inheritance from father to son. So independently, there was additional papers published by Grinnell and also Virama, um, uh, approximately about a year before we published our Y chromosome work, and they actually independently came up with a very similar estimate on this time of population divergence between these southern African hunter-gatherer groups and the other humans within Africa. And that time of population divergence is approximately 100 to 120,000 years ago. So again, what you're seeing is that the gene genealogies certainly go back in time, but the actual time depth of this population divergence is quite shallow, okay? And if we try to map that on to these um, sort of schematics of Africa, what would that mean? It means that neither of those two maps that I showed you before could really represent an 
the actual true ancestors to the human population. So something must have happened to reduce the genetic diversity between 200,000 years ago and 100,000 years ago. And so let's just think for a moment what that might have been or what that could have looked like. So one hypothesis could be that there was a strong population bottleneck during this time period, 200 to 100,000 years ago, and um, maybe that bottleneck was associated, for example, with climate. So populations actually could have moved from one region to another because of climatic fluctuations. And in this case, I've had all the individuals that are living in eastern Africa and northern Africa just sort of trickle down and move into southern Africa where things were nice during that time period. Um, <laughs> that doesn't have to necessarily be the only location. It's just one example. This movement into a refugium would likely have been accompanied by a population bottleneck. As you can imagine, um, if things are stressful in a given environment, then usually uh, what we see is a reduction in population size. Conversely, you could also think about it in a slightly different way. Maybe there was some stressful climatic experience um, and that these other populations simply went extinct. Okay, so you have local extinction events, for example, here in eastern Africa or northern Africa, and only a population persists in one geographic region, again indicated here by these little X's in southern Africa. Then what would have happened, right? So then at 100,000 years ago, we know uh, humans began expanding again. Uh, so if they did sort of localize to one specific place on the African continent, what would that then, then look like? They would have expanded into these other regions again, but maybe they absorbed individuals that persisted there, so maybe there wasn't complete extinction events in these other geographic regions, or indeed maybe um, all these individuals that were living in eastern and, and northern Africa did completely go extinct, and we don't see their signatures in the human genome. So this, I want to sort of end by emphasizing that this is a, a single origin model for the modern human species, but it fits the data actually quite nicely because of this shallow divergence we see in the genetic lineages. And um, I will emphasize that there is a lot of additional sequencing that needs to be done, particularly in African populations, where we probably have the fewest samples um, of full human genomes that have been sequenced. And we really need to actually think explicitly about testing these models in a context that connects the genetic data with the paleoanthropological information. And I will stop right there. You've been listening to a podcast by University of California Television. For more information about this program or UCTV, visit us online at uctv.tv.